Super Talk Mississippi media production. What if everyone was turning their head to look at you with a brand new Flowmaster exhaust system from Exhaust Pro in Macomb on Georgia Avenue? Cruise in style with Exhaust Pro of Macomb on Georgia Avenue. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you tuning in for this Monday, September 9th edition of the Rebel Report. That's like four days in a row, or four shows in a row. I've gotten the date right. <clears throat> Thanks for hanging out with us. We got a bunch to get to today. We um, Ole Miss won a football game um, in what was... I don't know. I thought they played okay. They just the the the, the two teams on the field just made it weird, and it was an interest. I don't know. It was a weird game, in my opinion. Anyway, oh, it doesn't matter. Ole Miss gets the thirty-one seventeen win. We'll dive into that from all different angles. NFL's back. Pretty crazy day in the NFL. A lot of different stuff going on. The Patriots beat the hell out of the Steelers last night. What's up? Not much. Not much. Yeah, Ole Miss won a football game. And frankly, it wasn't like the school board only wrote that they won by 14, but it, it really wasn't that close to me. I would probably mostly agree with that. Arkansas is awful. They're going to make a coaching change, aren't they? I don't know because I've, I've asked some people. I've asked some people around there, like what happens if they do go two and ten again, and like I'm not sure how you sell that. But there is, I would say, there's an increased level of patience amongst the people that make those decisions there because they understand kind of where they're at personnel-wise. Another conversation that we could get into in a minute, though, is what exactly to make of Chad Morris, because I was going back through his bio, I guess you could call it, from, I mean, it is his bio, in the game notes, and just kind of looking back at some different stuff, and it's interesting to me his career trajectory based on results, but we'll get into that in a second. So, I mean, we'll start, obviously, with the game. So, Ole Miss wins 31-17, to I'll go macro and then micro first. So big picture, this was a game Ole Miss had to win. There was really no surviving a loss like this. And I wrote this on Saturday night after the game. You can still read it at supertalk.fm. That wasn't an intentional plug, but anyway, go catch all of that post-game coverage. But I wrote that I think the the lead was something along the lines of, like, call it a collective exhale. Because I'm not sure, I hate to say survive a loss, but it would have been difficult to to pitch anything to your fan base, to pitch the rest of the season, to pitch the trajectory of the program, whatever all is happening, everything that goes with that, if you lost to that type of team as constructed. Because credit to Ole Miss for not making it really much of a close game. We'll get into how it kind of had a chance to get weird in the fourth quarter. But Ole Miss pretty much took care of business aside from some miscues in the first half that kind of kept it a little bit closer. But point being, they really couldn't have survived something like that. Like, I don't know what you pitch... To your fan base, I don't really know what you pitch to the kids in the locker room if you lose to an Arkansas team that's in the current state that they're in. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it would have been a disaster scenario if you, if you lose on Saturday night to Arkansas. It, it was a big win for the program. Ole Miss lost six football games in a row. It was, it was a big win for the city of Oxford. I mean, the, the city needed something. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's been a long, I don't know, almost a year now with just losses piling up after losses. And look, is it is it going to change the trajectory of the season? Probably not. Look, Arkansas is absolutely atrocious, but it's something you can hang your hat on, and it's something those kids probably needed. They needed a confidence boost, and they're going to get one. Um, they're going to win on Saturday. They're going to beat Southeastern Louisiana, and you, and you roll in, and Cal comes in, and look, Cal's really good. Um, but the program needed this one. They're, they're two and one. 
more than likely, and, and you just go play football. If, you, if you're looking at this thing and you're 0-2 with southeastern Louisiana rolling in, I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. It's, it's probably doomsday scenario at that point. Is Cal really good? Uh, I mean, they beat Washington on the road Saturday night. I missed that entire thing. So, I, so I guess quick sidebar here. I get back home on Saturday night after the game. It's probably 1230 or 1. And I had one more. I wrote a story on Elijah Moore pretty late Saturday night and put that up around one thirty. And that thing was in a what? 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 What was? What was the delay? I, I didn't. Uh, what? I, I mean, it came like a hailstorm. Okay, so I did. I was they just guessing because it took off to like, or they had started like play three minutes and they started back at like one a.m. and then at about three thirty a.m. Cal kicked the field goal to win. That's a pretty quick game, honestly. Yeah, they moved it. Um, yeah, because <laughs> they were ready to go home, too. They must not have done halftime. No, they did. They did halftime. Okay, so I was I, I should have looked at that yesterday. But, yeah, so I was trying to get home, and I was like, okay, I, I usually have trouble going to sleep after those games because I have, like, so much caffeine or whatever in me. And so after I got done writing the Elijah Moore thing, it was like 1245. May have been a little later than that. I don't know. But it, like, still wasn't on. And I was like, what is going on? Like, why can't I watch this? And then I noticed it was in a delay. I didn't know what the delay was for. I obviously did not stay up for the end of the game. So Cal won that game outright? Yes, yes. They kicked the field goal with four seconds left to win the game. So does Washington suck? Because Cal bet... Uh, Easton sucked. I thought Easton was good. Uh, he's bad. And, yeah, I mean, Washington's not great. I mean, they're good on defense. They don't really have playmakers on offense. And Cal's going to kind of expose that. Yeah, that seems less than ideal to lose at home to Cal. Yeah, yeah, and Ole Miss has got to deal with that in two weeks. And I'm, I'm interested to see what that line is. I think it'll probably be Cal minus two or three. I don't know. If you'd asked me last week, like I kept saying Ole Miss is going to be favored in his next three games, but that was given that Cal struggled with UC Davis. Yeah. Or whoever it was. <laughs> so they I, do not. Who do, so who does Cal have next week? Um, I'm not sure. I think they may have maybe off this week. I can look. I'm about to look right now. They have North Texas. Okay, so that'll be a win. North Texas is terrible. Yeah, so I, I guess Cal might be favored. I don't really know. I Honestly, I don't know what to make of that at all. I would have told you before last week or before two seconds ago when you told me they beat Washington. I think it's a bad matchup for Ole Miss because California is really, really good in the secondary, and I don't think that bodes well for Ole Miss. Uh, they're extremely athletic back there. Uh, now, they can block them up front. Ole Miss will have to run the football successfully to beat California. Well, that was another thing I was going to get into in this game. Ole Miss now with a couple game sample size doesn't really throw the ball very much. I say very much, but not a ton. No, they're going to run the football. By God. Uh, Rich Rodriguez, I mean, love it or hate it, he is going to make damn sure he runs the football. Uh, and then they did on Saturday with success. So, credit to them. Credit to the offensive line. There were, there were a lot of places to run. So, so, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying that was a good job by them. And, and Rich Rod, you know, look, you can blame him if you want. Um, but he's going to run the football. And whether that works or not, we'll see. But that's just the staple of his offense. Yeah, so we kind of got off on a tangent there. But anyway, that was a game Ole Miss really couldn't afford no, uh, afford yeah. to lose. There was really just no there was no sugarcoating it. I think Matt Luke knew that because – he even brought it up after the game. He said, you guys asked me on Monday if this was a must-win, and I don't necessarily know about that, but we knew it was an important game. He mentioned having fans there, it being a decent crowd. I thought the stadium filled out okay. 
I don't. Yeah. I'm not a big student. I don't. I really don't give a damn about crowd size. I think all that stuff is stupid, and for fans just to make fun of each other, like one cult fan base isn't well, as strongly convicted as the other. But at the same time, I thought the student section filled out okay. Like it was a pretty good crowd for a first game. I, I thought the rest of the stadium filled out okay. Arkansas didn't bring anybody, so whatever that section is, yeah, that's just if you're facing the south By end the zone. Old student section. Yeah, if you're facing the south end zone, it's to the left. Whatever you want to call that section in the... Like, if you're at midfield looking towards the south end zone, it's over to the left. That was right. pretty much empty because I don't think Arkansas brought anybody. And I, to be honest, I don't really blame them. No, it's, I mean, you come you come every two years and you're probably not winning the football game. I want to ask you, it seemed like to me that, that anybody inside or involved with the program felt like they were going to win on Saturday. Uh it, it just kind of felt like that Ole Miss thought they were better than Arkansas, and it, it kind of turned out that they were a lot better than Arkansas. Yeah, I think that's fair, but I, I would hope they would feel that way, given what you've seen from Arkansas on sure. on film, on whatever whatever you want to call it, watching them last week. I just... We'll get, I guess we'll go ahead and get right into it. So that was kind of the macro. Ole Miss couldn't afford to lose that game because, one... So when I said Ole Miss was going five and seven, I don't want to take credit for something Borky pointed out last week, but it was the same line of thinking when I said five and seven, because I just I didn't necessarily see like basically if they lost to Memphis in the first game, which was obviously it happened and it was very possible going in given the amount of new. I just didn't see a path to six and six. There was really basically no margin for error. And so with Ole Miss having to go, Ole Miss has to go three and five in SEC play if it wants to make a bowl game. And so, obviously, if you lost to Arkansas, there was really no path to that at all. I mean, there, there was there was essentially no path to getting back to the postseason. So, Saturday didn't really guarantee Ole Miss at all, anything at all, but a loss would have pretty much eliminated all hope they had at getting this thing back to the postseason and going back to a bowl game for the first time since the, whatever, 2015-2016 Sugar Bowl, whatever they want yeah. to call it, the 15th season. So... I guess that was kind of the same line of thinking. I'm still, I mean, they're still at a five-win pace, basically, is what I would call it, because you can beat Vanderbilt for your second conference win if you can take care of your last three non-conference games, which Cal is kind of the hang-up there. If they can beat Cal, you're on a track for five wins. Where does the sixth win come from? Because I don't necessarily see it. Missouri, I know West Virginia's terrible, but Missouri looked looked a lot better last week. That's going to be a tough game going there. You know, do you beat State in the Egg Bowl? State looked a little bit better this week. A&M, you catch them at home, maybe you get them beat up. They looked a lot more pedestrian, but they were facing the best team in the country. Obviously, Alabama, LSU, probably not happening. No, they're probably not Probably kind of tongue-in-cheek, that's not happening. And then Auburn looks good enough to where you have to go over there. I, I, I don't see that either. So, no, you're, I mean, you're running I, out of options, if you see my point. I understand what you're saying, and, and what, where does the sixth win come from? If you look up and you tell me that Ole Miss is in a three-point game in the fourth quarter in Auburn, I'm not shocked. Like, college football is weird, man. Um, you know, anything can happen it, it, besides people beating Alabama and Clemson. Um, I, look, if this team is at five wins and, and has some shots to get to six, I'm not going to be shocked if they just go somewhere and, and beat somebody just because that's kind of how college football works. Yeah, that's fair, and I guess that's kind of what I'm saying in the sense that they eliminated most of their margin for error, or basically all of their margin for error to get to a bowl game by losing to Memphis, but that's how this is going to have to work out. You're going to have to take care of the remaining four wins 
that you can kind of perceive on your schedule and then just kind of hope you beat someone you're not necessarily supposed to and you've got two that seem more realistic than others maybe two or three like I would if you're categorizing the long shot old miss wins I'd put them in tiers in terms of how realistic they are and I'd say the most realistic would be A&M Missouri and state probably state then then Missouri and then A&M I guess I would put it as of right now I would reserve the right to change that then there's obviously Auburn, and then Alabama and LSU are in a category of their own because you're not you're not winning the game those games. No, the the goal with like because you're going to get killed in Tuscaloosa. The goal with LSU is that it's the next to last game of the year go in there and get beat by ten to fourteen, like at home. That that that's got to be the goal for Ole Miss, in my opinion, in that game. Is look, you're probably not winning the football game, but don't get run out of your own stadium. Like I don't think that does anything for confidence. No, I would agree with that, and that's kind of the difference in what last year... Part of the reason Ole Miss wanted to make sweeping changes to its staff was because not only were they not beating anybody with a pulse, but they weren't even competitive in games against better teams. Like, they went down to LSU and got destroyed last year. Alabama, I'll give them a pass on because Alabama killed everyone last year. But, like, it's the it's the LSU game and like that where you're not even really competitive or in the game from the start. Right, that game was a disaster down there in Baton Rouge last year from the very beginning. And so that's also another thing that I think is an important point to bring up is part of the showing your fan base, showing whoever whoever is showing everyone, whether it's inside the program or out, that you're making progress is not only winning games, but being more competitive in games you aren't supposed to win, hanging around against A&M at home, hanging, you know, making LSU sweat a little bit, things like that to where you're not just going in and if you're not supposed to win the game on paper, you get blown out by 30 and you're never in it. Right, yeah. Just, just show your making progress. I think, and, and this may sound a little weird, but I think this fan base can handle another five and seven. I don't think they can handle another five and seven where you're just getting run out of the stadium by literally everybody. Um, you, you beat kind of who you're supposed to, and A and M beat you by thirty eight. I think I think there's differences among five and seven that that people can take perception from. I would agree with that. So getting into the game a little bit. The offense looked much better. We saw the, our first. So my, my impressions of the offense, and I'd like to see the pro football focus numbers and some other things, and I'll be interested to see what Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez have to say in a little bit uh, at this Monday press conference. But you saw the first the first action Nick Broker got. He essentially alternated drives with Michael Howard is basically how they played that for most of the game. In the second half, Michael Howard played some right tackle because Alex Givens was... It was reported on the radio he was dealing with some stomach issues. Luke said after the game he thought it was just winded. He didn't know if it was anything in particular, but he'd check. But anyway, you saw the first action of Nick Broger. It looked like he held up okay. Ole Miss ran the ball with a lot more success, a lot more consistent success, I believe, as a team. And I'll look this up. Yeah, Ole Miss was right at four and a half yards a carry, and it's probably a little bit higher if you take out a Matt Corral sack. But Matt Corral ran it 10 times for 46 yards. Scotty Phillips, 26 touches, 143 yards, two scores. He was at at five and a half yards a touch. Yeah, he he played well. He did, and Ole Miss ran it a lot better. The carries dispersion amongst the backs was about more what they'd like it. Jerry and Ely had four four rushes and quote-unquote three receptions. Whenever they do that little, like, pitch pass forward or whatever is yeah. technically a forward pass. It's So, yes, it's technically a forward pass and counts towards Corral stats as well, but it's basically basically a running play. He had, I think, what, 42 plus 35. I'm not a math guy. Uh, 77. 
77. Yeah, 77. There, yeah, so on what? That's... Wait, no, I had that wrong. I added up Snoop Connor's thing. Ely had 42 yards. He had four rushes for seven yards, three touches. I mean, three receptions for 35 yards. Okay. So, seven touches. Uh, Ely had... I mean, Snoop Connor had eight. That's about how much... Like, that's about how they'd like to disperse the ball. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a lot more like... Last week was obviously not what you wanted at all, but they got... They only ran 53 plays. They were behind the chains all the time. They... They were just they were they were behind so early and they they couldn't block anybody that basically everything they were trying to do was thrown off. So that's about how I would picture it with you know Ely and Ely and Connor getting somewhere in the seven to nine touch range a game with Scotty Phillips still being the proverbial bell cow, which is exactly how this turned out. Twenty six touches. They ran the ball better. I thought they threw the ball a lot better, and that was interesting to me because with Braylon Sanders out of the game. There was really no one proven at receiver other than Elijah Moore, so it was interesting to me who was going to. I hate it; it's like such a TV guy thing to say elevate their game, but who was going to kind of step up and 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 have more catches or kind of prove themselves in the sense that like well, most of these other guys hadn't really done much in their careers to this point, other than Moore, and really it was just Elijah Moore really really picking up the slack. He had seven catches, 130 yards, in his first multi touchdown game of his career. I mean, we said it from a long time from the spring on. He was going to be a nightmare matchup for people out of the slot, and you saw that. He was really, really good. And you could see the the rapport between Matt Corral and him has been building ever since Corral kind of got in games at the end of last year. You could sense that in the, in the limited action that Corral saw last year. And I think I guess it just kind of got – I guess it took center stage last night, for the lack of a better cliche. Yeah. Um, I, I think Elijah Moore is extremely talented and, and- – Look, Corral had his issues on Saturday still, but I thought he played extremely well compared to you know what he did, obviously, at Memphis. Um, he had time to go through some progressions. He, he's a little loose with the football, but that's okay. Um, I, I, I respect uh, Matt Corral because anytime things got like tough, it was just like, screw it, where's eight? And he, he found Elijah Moore, by God, and he got him the football. Um, that's what you do. You get your playmakers the football, and, and they did a really good job of that on Saturday, is making sure they got more out in space and and the kick and make plays, he's, he was highly rated for a reason, and he's going to be a problem for at least another year at Ole Miss. Yeah, I, as far as whether he stays one or two after that, I think there's a lot more to, to be seen there. Oh, sure. But, yeah, I mean, he was really good, and the second touchdown was interesting to me because it came at a crucial time in the game, and not to skip too far ahead, but you had kind of gotten your first typical taste of Ole Miss Arkansas in the sense that what Ole Miss was up – 17 to 3, they had the ball. Arkansas was doing nothing offensively. Ole Miss was in Arkansas territory driving. They had a chance to issue the kill shot, basically. And the exact opposite happened. You got an option play where Matt Corral pitched it to Octavius Cooley. Cooley it didn't appear to have. Was it even an option? Like, I just saw Matt Corral toss it to someone. I didn't even know if it was an option. It was an option play, but I don't think Cooley ever got, like, a firm grasp on the ball. And so it pops out, and Arkansas returns it, what, 73 yards or 60? No, it was yeah. actually 69 yards Dude, for it. made people miss like crazy. Yeah, for a touchdown, it was very, very bad tackling as well, but they're offensive players. So, yeah, true. <laughs> uh, yeah, very, very, very poor tackling. But it, it, that point being, it's 17 to 10, and what, I think there were still 10 or 11 minutes left in the game. And yep. it's like, oh, yep. wow, like here, like it's Ole Miss Arkansas. At that time, I was about to bang my head up against the wall because I was like, damn it, this thing's going overtime. I was uh I was very upset, and 
or about the prospect of that because I think Neil had said something about you know this t- these two have a history of going overtime and I was like please don't it's it's ten forty five but so yeah that's when the point where you're kind of like okay this this could get squirrely again and Ole Miss needed to go down the field and answer and really kind of put a stop because Arkansas wasn't moving the ball at all offensively they weren't doing really anything at all. But at the same time, if it's 17-10 and you give them one chance to score one touchdown, well, I would say look at 2017, look at 2016, look at 2015. I've seen how that movie ends. So yeah. Ole Miss uh, needed to go down the field and answer, and they did. And they, Ma- Yeah, they did. And Moore made a play over the middle of the field where he basically beat the guy in cover one and then got into the second level and basically blew past everyone. He made kind of one nice cut that beat another guy, and then he just blew past everyone else. 46-yard touchdown reception. That showed, one, the versatility, not the versatility, the speed he has that makes him such a nightmare matchup in the slot. And number two, that was big for a young offense because they had a really, really, really big blunder. I mean, that's that's a bit more than a gaffe. That, that could have potentially been catastrophic, and they got back out on the field and drove down the field and scored a touchdown instead of letting that compound. Yeah, and, and, and good on them. Uh, they, they wouldn't put the game away because once they got up 24-10, look, I know Arkansas scored a late touchdown. Um, Arkansas was not going to score on offense if Ole Miss didn't want them to score on Saturday. I, I really kind of believe that. Um, and I, I'm not saying they quit on the last drive, but, like, come on, they were up three touchdowns with four minutes left. Um, so once that got, you know, pushed back out 24-10, to 10, the game was essentially over at that point. Yeah, it was. I would agree with that. But at 17-10, you're thinking, like, okay, this could actually get weird again. And then oh, yeah. the, another chapter amongst two really bad teams in this recent history of, of wackiness in this rivalry. And Ole Miss kind of put all of that to rest there. Shifting over to the defensive side, the big news out of the game is Mohamed Sanogo, before Ole Miss runs a defensive play, breaks his ankle on punt return. He is out for the season. You can read about that at supertalk.fm. Oh. We were able to confirm that yesterday. I think he. I was told he was having surgery early early on this week. That's a that's a big loss. It I mean, is. I, I mean, I, I mean, I, that's. I'm stating the obvious there, but I, I don't really know how you. I don't think you can overstate that. I mean, he's the most established linebacker on the team. He became a vocal leader on that defense last year that really really struggled. He was the leading tackler by thirty something tackles last year. I mean, it's it's it's. They're in a better place as far as linebackers go because they're in the three four. They've built a little bit of depth up with guys they feel comfortable playing at inside linebacker in that 3-4. I think you saw that because you Willie Hibbler, Jacques Jones, and Dante Evans got saw significant snaps at inside linebacker after Sonogo went down. So they'll all continue to rotate. They'll continue to play a lot of guys. And you can't really replace a Mohamed Sonogo, but you can make it the, his absence minimized a little bit if those guys can collectively play well together. Right. Evans played okay. Hibbler played okay. Dante Evans, I mean, excuse me, Jacques Jones led the team in tackles with nine. He played pretty good. They're okay. Luke Knox played a good bit too, right? He did, but he's an outside. Oh, okay. The okay. he uh, but so they played okay in his absence, but you can't really replace that. They're just going to have to do their best to minimize the effects of it. Yeah, yeah, and somebody may have to move from outside to inside if, if the depth becomes an issue. Because I feel like they're pretty. They're pretty set at outside linebacker from a depth perspective. Yeah, I think they're okay. I think Luke Knox has helped that some. I think they're fine for right now at inside as well because you do. I mean, Lakia Henry's going to be the guy that doesn't really come off the field very right. much. But, I mean, you have three guys that have played foot. I mean, Dante Evans is an older guy. Willie Hibbler's a senior. 
Jacquez Jones played a lot last year as a freshman, and so you've got experience there. So they're probably fine there for now, but it's just the presence of, of Mohamed Sanogan. Obviously, there's going to be a drop-off in performance because he was the best linebacker on the team. I guess Lakia Henry could eventually give him a run for his money there, but he's definitely the most established. That's tough for that guy because I, I like Mohamed Sanogo. He, he's always great with the media. We talked to him a lot last year because he basically became the team spokesperson for, for that team after they would really, really struggle. And he'd still come out every week after they got beat up and and, and basically take all our questions and, and was kind of became the, the spokesperson, as I just said. So that's tough for him. That's a uh, Luke, Matt Luke called the loss heartbreaking after the game. That's tough. Um, but after that, the defense played pretty well and recovered. I don't know really how much to gauge it because Arkansas is awful offensively. They switched quarterbacks in the second half. They finally went with Nick Starkle and at least moved the ball a little better. Starkle offers more as a quarterback. I wonder if that's the end of the Ben Hicks experiment. I don't know. Point being, the defense played pretty well. I will say they got pressure with just three and four man rushes without having to blitz much, which was a good sign. I don't think you saw that as much last week because Clint, I mean, excuse me, Memphis did not drop back and throw the ball as much. They got the ball and kind of dumped it out quicker and did some different things. But that was an initial impression, but it's also hard to gauge because Arkansas is atrocious offensively. Yeah, and, and that was the big thing for me on defense. Is every time they dropped back, Ole Miss was in their lap. Uh, they could not block Ole Miss. And look, that's not going to be the case with every team. Uh, Arkansas is not very talented on the offensive line, but Ole Miss was getting heat on them every time they dropped back to pass. And uh, that, that that was probably one of the main reasons they were so good on defense on Saturday is that Arkansas couldn't get a clean pocket and, and Starkle and, and Hicks were running for their life. What was interesting to me is Arkansas was, particularly in the first half, was actually okay when they were running the ball up the middle. And I guess this will get into our Chad Morris thing here in a second. But Arkansas was having success. Boyd was getting like over 40 yards a carry. They were like, when they did give him the ball, it was something productive. But, like, what the hell are you doing? He Like, they kept trying to get cute and throw these screens, and then they were moving the ball in Ole Miss territory, trailing at one point, and they tried to run that double pass. Now, granted, I, I don't think Morris necessarily anticipated the receiver running 25 yards backwards and then just eating the sack. <laughs> but it's like, what are you doing? They're, you're running the ball on basically, I don't want to say it will, but consistently getting four or five yards up the middle on Ole Miss, and they would just try to get cute and run something laterally, and it wouldn't work because Ole Miss has gotten better at tackling in space particularly in the secondary and at those edge positions, it's kind of like, what are you doing? Yeah, that, that's the frustration I get uh, a sense from from a lot of Arkansas fans. He tries to get real cute. Um, it kind of resembles Gus Malzahn, and, and he tries to make sure that you know people know that he's calling those plays by God. So, well, I think yeah, Neil I mean, said exactly that after, like as we were sitting up there. It was like he thinks he's Gus Malzahn. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he, he tries to get a little too cute, and, and that costed them on Saturday. They were putting together a good drive, and then all of a sudden you look up at second thirty, and you got no prayer. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to take like all the like I don't want to necessarily take away from what the Ole Miss defense was able to do. Oh, but again, not. Arkansas is atrocious offensively. But a part of the reason they're atrocious is their coach. I guess what I'm trying to say is they're bad, and their coach does them no favors. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he doesn't help them at all. There's there's ways to overcome your deficiencies, and he's not mastering that uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But what is us, that I mean, though? Is that that type like like does that shit just work at SMU? And he hasn't realized that doesn't work in the SEC. Like I, I don't well, understand that. Yeah, uh, it didn't really work at SMU. I mean, if you talk to some people that were around the SMU program, they're a little bit surprised how hot his name got. I mean, 
this is another topic for another day. It ain't hard to win at SMU. Like, it's Dallas, and you've got all the players in Texas and, you know, Texas Tech and whatever don't want. That's still a lot of really good football players. And, I mean, he went 7-6 and six and got an SEC job. That's another story for another day. Yeah, but that, uh, that, I'll push back a little in the sense that that's not really an easy job. I mean, I would still argue that program, in some senses, is just never going to be the same from the you know the Pony Express, the sanctions, and all that. I'm not saying it's hard to win there, but they're a middle to bottom tier program in in the what are they American or are they Conference USA? Yeah, they're, they're the American. American. That's what I thought. Yeah, uh, I should have. I don't know why I had to ask that, but he did an okay job there. But it seems like he's just basically making a living off being the offensive coordinator at Clemson that time before Clemson would actually became Clemson. Like I, I just I don't understand yeah. why he was such a hot commodity. He's risen up a lot in the coaching ranks despite results. And I'm not necessarily because I don't know enough about Chad Morris to know if he's a good football coach or not. But he's risen in the coaching ranks a lot with the results don't necessarily align with the coach whose career trajectory has been what his has been. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I don't get it. So Ole Miss was interested in him when they hired Matt Luke. And well, I, can, I know there there are a lot of reasons why they were interested in him, and it didn't necessarily uh-huh. have to do with the results. Uh huh. That uh, that basketball practice facility is really nice. It is. Uh, what is it called? Can't I can't recall. Uh, Wait, there's a name on it. Yeah, I know. I can't remember. Can you? Starts with a T. Yeah, it ends with a Y. Yeah. So anyway, lots of reasons Ole Miss was interested in uh, in Chad Morris. You saw how that movie ended. I'm not necessarily getting that today. It is interesting to me how he's risen despite necessarily a lack of results, I guess, in sheer terms of wins and losses. But he's not him doing himself any favors in the sense that he was really bad play calling against Ole Miss there. He seems to be the only one in the state of Mississippi or the state of Arkansas that thinks Ben Hicks is better than Nick Starkle. Because it was like it was like you were watching that first half, and it's like, how have they not pulled him? This guy is not very good. Then they put Starkle in in the second half, and Starkle was not exactly Johnny Manziel or anything, but he they at least moved the ball better. He'd be my quarterback. Good God, uh, Arkansas had no prayers the first half. No, they didn't at all. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I don't know how much of that is Hicks's fault or it's everything else, but man, it's just like, like, it, like, I, it's surprising to me that the, they that Hicks was named the starter out of camp. I get he had familiarity. He's an SMU transfer. If you don't know that, he played for Chad Morris for two years at SMU. He transferred as a grad transfer this past offseason. Starkle's an A&M transfer. You probably remember that name. He played a little bit at A&M. But it's just, I don't know. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a quarterback guru. I am not a football film junkie by any means. I like to think I have a pretty decent understanding of the position and like how to play it and things like that. But, like, even as someone that doesn't necessarily fancy themselves as, like, a football film-type junkie, anyone with two eyeballs can tell you that Starkle offers more than Hicks. Oh, absolutely. And, look, uh, we are talking about Arkansas quarterbacks. That's, a lot of that had to do with, with Ole Miss and, and how they were able to get after them. Look, I know they give them the touchdown there at the end, but that's not exactly official or anything. They damn near went six quarters without giving up an, uh, an offensive touchdown. Um that's extremely impressive, and I'm not. I don't really care who you're playing. Yeah, that's what I I, I. I tweeted that, and I wrote it as well on Saturday night. As, of course, as soon as I tweeted that, they gave up a garbage time touchdown. But I, I that was kind of my premise. Is like, yeah, you're going to be able to gauge exactly like, anyone with two. Because I got a lot of pushback. Where like, how can you not tell they're improved? Like, well, that that sound over your head is the point flying above your face. My point being was. 
yes, they are improved. Anyone with two eyeballs can tell you that. They know what they're do. They look to have a better understanding of what they're schematically doing on each play. They line up correctly. They tackle a lot better. They populate the football a lot better. There's less guys. There's less busted assignments. There's less bust. Fewer busted coverages. I should say, not less. Apparently, I get paid to write, but. <laughs> You, you. Yeah. Th- yes, they're obviously improved. My point being was, I said there. It's going to be easier to actually kind of put a label or number or whatever you want to call it on how much they've improved when they play a competent offenses. And when I say competent offenses, it's what does it look like against the LSU and the A and M's of the world, or even like the Auburns and stuff. Like how much better is that? Because that's really when the gap showed last year. Ole Miss was bad against all defenses. I mean, hell, Kent State or Southern Illinois, whichever one of those teams scored thirty-eight and a half. But it's no doubt that they're improved, but I'm interested to see how like how much you can actually gauge from this because they haven't really played an offense with a pulse yet. Yeah, um, they haven't. So uh, you're probably not going to see an offense with a pulse until you go to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, because Cal's not good on offense. That's not where they win games. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit before you actually know because Alabama's extremely good, and I don't know what you can really do to stop them. I'm kind of interested to see what they do against middle-tier offenses like you know, Auburn or, or Texas A&M and that type thing. Uh, so it'll be a little while before we kind of get an answer on that. Yes, uh, so Sam Williams had a pretty good game. Uh, we talked to him after the game. He uh, he had his mom in, in attendance for the first time. I have actually a pretty long story on Sam Williams coming out tomorrow. He is a uh, – he's one hell of a story. But he played well. They had a couple guys on the defensive line play pretty well. Again, it's hard to gauge – what? But the big story is obviously from the defensive side is Mohamed Sinogo and what does that look like going forward? I thought Ole Miss fared pretty well with the three guys they played in replacement of him in that game. But man, it's going to be hard. Like it's hard to quantify that loss for the Ole Miss defense going forward. But at least they have more bodies, they have more guys, they have more depth. Really, just all around, just because simply they're back to the full eighty-five scholarships and they formulated a little bit of depth on the defensive side. So. This would have been a lot more catastrophic last year, but it's still very, very hard, tough pill to swallow if you're Mike McIntyre in that Ole Miss defense. So, you know, the next couple weeks is going to be interesting to me to see what the linebacking core looks like on the inside. Again, Luke Knox got a lot of snaps at outside linebacker. He's continued to play pretty well. He didn't. You didn't hear his name much during fall camp, and that's mostly because during summer workouts, I believe he tweaked a hamstring, and it was either a hamstring or a groin. But he missed the first two weeks of fall camp. But that kid can play. And I believe at one point when he came into the program, he's a walk-on. I'm not sure if he's on scholarship or not. Uh, yeah, I'm not either. Yeah, he's a really good player. Uh, Ole Miss has, has gotten some depth there at linebacker, which, you know, that, that's a weird thing to say after not having linebackers for two years. So it, it, it's interesting. The secondary played really well, I thought, on Saturday, too. Um, so. Just, just an all-around good performance. Benito Jones made – I mean, they couldn't block him. He was he was in backfield all night. Sam Williams, uh, he was phenomenal. Um, it, it, it's amazing the turnaround that Mike McIntyre has made because, yeah, you consider and say, oh, they haven't played anybody on offense, and I get that. But like you said, Southern Illinois put up 38 on these dudes in the first half. Um, so it wasn't exactly like they were tearing up uh, bad offenses last year. There, there's some marked improvement there, and, and that that's to be commended for uh, Mike McIntyre. I would agree with that as well. And so, yes, it's like they have made improvements, but I'm interested to see how much it is because I'm interested to see how they fare against the better defenses. Uh, one, I guess one thing you can gauge as far as how Ole Miss fared is they did pretty well against Rakeem Boyd. Again, you heard me talk about earlier, 
I don't understand why Boyd didn't get the football more, particularly in the first half. I don't understand why Devwa Whaley didn't touch the ball uh, more. I don't. I think he had four touches total for the game, which I, I don't understand that at all. Because that kid's he pretty good. Two years ago in Oxford. Yeah, well, he was supposed to be the guy, and then Rakeem Boyd came in and was a lot like was very very good for them last year, and so it became a pretty formidable one-two punch. But he didn't hardly touch the ball at all. Boyd ends the game with 17 touches for 67 yards, and he averaged 3.9 yards a carry. That's obviously not world like that's that's not 85 Bears type defenses, but that's okay. Like Ole Miss is now Patrick. No one's no one's video game them like Leonard Fournette used to do, or or things like that. Like that's okay. And Boyd's a pretty good back. Boyd killed them last year before he got knocked out of the game. He had seven touches for 119 yards. Caught a couple more passes out of the backfield. I would probably argue that Arkansas probably wins that game in Little Rock last year if Boyd is not knocked out of the game. Now, the quarterback got knocked out of the game, too, so that was kind of the double whammy for them. But I thought they fared a lot better against the run. I think Arkansas, it's, again, it's 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 hard to tell defensive, like, defensive numbers in terms of running the ball some just on the surface because Arkansas was sacked three times, and I think they lost, like, 21 yards on it. But Arkansas as a team averaged 2.3 yards per carry. So anywhere in the 2 to 3 range if you take out the Hicks sacks. I think that's one of the dumbest stats that college football has is that sack yardage counts as a loss of rushing yards. What would you count it against then? Nothing. Just do it like the NFL. It doesn't count against anything. It counts against their passing yards in the NFL. Okay, I would rather have that. Okay. But anyway... Anyway, that, I mean, whatever. But they fared pretty good. But point being is they fared pretty good against the run. Rakeem Boyd's longest run was 10 yards. Uh, the the Warren kid that they played to's longest run was 12. Like, they, they were okay against the run. And so, Oh, yeah, there, there were no big crap. Did Arkansas have any big plays on offense? Uh, I guess they had the, the long touchdown pass that got called back. Um, but other than that, they didn't really get any, any explosive plays that I can remember. They had a couple longer catches. It, uh, Trey Knox had a 49-yard reception, and Mike Woods had a 45-yarder. But I think a couple of those came at the end of the game. Sure, and those don't really count. Yeah, but so anyway, so they they they, they fared a lot better. I, I thought that was one of the more telling things is Ole Miss kind of keeping Boyd bottled up. Again, Chad Morris did a pretty decent job of keeping Boyd, Boyd bottled up there in the first half as well. So played pretty well there. The big story to kind of watch from the def- defense going forward is how what what does that inside linebacker position look like next to Lakia Henry now that Mohamed Sanogo is done for the year. Sucks for the kid. That's a tough break for Ole Miss. But again, that's kind of just the reality of life in the SEC. You you got to deal with it, and you've got to move forward so you know, that puts a bigger burden on Henry he won't be coming off the field very much if hardly at all it's going to be to me it'll be kind of like Sonogo last year in the sense that yeah they could get away with a few snaps if it's Hibbler and Jones or if it's Hibbler and Evans but they're going to want Lakia Henry on the field as much as possible particularly now just kind of like Sonogo Sonogo got like three snaps a game off last year I don't know if it'll be that extreme but they're going to be hesitant to take him off the field now that they don't have Muhammad an all SEC guy next to him yeah um, so tough loss there but I think they can bounce back I think that they haven't looked at this was last year I mean good god uh, it would be even worse and I don't know how that was possible but I think there's enough guys there to replace them. but that's, that's tough for Sonogo I, I've seen a lot of you know just dislike for him being on special teams I don't necessarily mind using starters on special teams but I think if you're going to do that you need to be a lot better on special teams than what Ole Miss is 
Uh, if you're using starters out there on special teams, you should have a pretty good special teams unit. And I frankly don't think Ole Miss has met that criteria lately. So uh, we were talking about this last night because that was, of course, the, as the questions started pouring in after he was injured. It's like, why is he on the punt team? Well, Ole Miss basically, uh, I bet noticed it the next couple of times, they basically put their starting defense on punt cover. Yeah. Is basically what that is. Now, argue whether you don't hate that, like that, whatever. I'm just pointing out that that basically seemed to be the case, barring an exception or two. You'd think if there was an exception, you'd take your best linebacker off the field. But, again, yeah, you can make, like, should he be out there? Should he not be? Probably not. I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time really faulting them for that if that's just kind of part of what they do. Yeah. You're not expecting him to snap an ankle on a putt cover. Yep. I don't mind him being on special teams like a lot of people did. My only argument is if you got starters on special teams, your special teams should be pretty good. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. And there, there was no special teams gap. There, At least I, I can't think of a special teams. They struggled covering punt. They did. Luke Logan punted the ball pretty well. Uh, not Luke yeah, Logan, really excuse good. me, Mac Brown punted the ball really well. Yeah, Brown. Uh, yeah, I don't need they're two drastically different personalities there. Mac Brown has enough personality for need to not get him mixed up with anyone. But yeah, I thought they punted pretty well. They did struggle on some punt covers. A lot of that was just I mean, and this is part of it, but I mean, they, a lot of that was just missed tackles cuz I mean, they they as far as like punting distance and all that wasn't a problem. Oh yeah. Mac Brown's been or yeah, Mac Brown's been extremely good kicking the football. So that's, yeah, that's about all the thoughts I had defensively on the side. I was just kind of checking my notes to see if I had anything written down that I'd forgotten. And that's really about it from the defensive side. Again, this was an important game. Matt Corral looked a lot more comfortable. He was, what, 16 of 24 for 246 and two scores? That'll play. Yeah, that will play. Uh, he, he looked a lot more comfortable. He made he still made, he still looked more accurate. Like he had, he had fewer throws where you're like, where is that going to? Where you had a, a, quite a few of those against... Memphis and some of that was a, like miscommunication in terms of what they thought they were doing route wise. That's something you would expect to get shored up between week one and week two. But he looked more comfortable. He looked a lot better throwing on the run when they moved the pocket and he rolled out to his right or sometimes to his left. He looked a lot more comfortable doing that, and he looked—I don't want to say better running the football, but he's kind of in the even in the first two games in the first game where he struggled. He's proven to be a capable enough runner for Rich Rod to kind of do what he wants to do. Yeah, um, it, he, he, he's pretty good running the football. Again, he was a little bit loose with the football. Uh, I'd appreciate it if he would not do that. But I thought he went through progressions better. I thought he read defenses better. Um, whereas against Memphis, it just felt like he was getting the ball and throwing it before you know reading anything. He had made his mind up where the ball was going before the snap. And that might work at Matter Day High School. That's not going to work up here. Uh, so, so I think there was some marked improvement there from week one to week two. I think he's going to be okay. Uh, I, w- I was a little bit concerned about how he played against Memphis, but if, he, if he's willing to go through progressions and, and you know have a little bit better pocket awareness, I think Ole Miss is going to be fine at the quarterback position. Uh, he'll get you know he'll he'll run his stats up this week against Southeastern Louisiana more than likely, and you know you go into Alabama and, and you're going to face one of the best defenses in the country, and you see what happens. But I, I think there was some extremely some extreme improvement from week one to week two with Corral. But th- that's part of what's going to be hap- be happening with this. There's going to be some growing pains. In one of these games against Alabama or LSU or Auburn, he's going to throw a couple interceptions and struggle really badly, more than likely. That's just kind of part of it. I mean, he's not he's 19 years old, and as 
we pointed out a little bit last week, Ole Miss has lived off JUCO guys so often, and it's basically JUCO guys and Shea Patterson. And you, they've kind of forgotten what it's like to have a younger quarterback kind of go through and take his lumps and, and become the guy. Because it was like you went from Chad Kelly to Shea Patterson, and Kelly got injured at the end of that 2016 season, and for the last two ga- last three games, Patterson wins that game at A&M where A&M basically just threw up on themselves. You know, they lose the last two games, what it was Vanderbilt in the 16 Egg Bowl. But, like, Patterson had played three full football games going into the next year when he was supposed to be the guy. Corral had very limited action in four and was kind of expected to be the guy. And then it was kind of the whole same deal as the – there was no redshirt thing back then, so Patterson being a sophomore. And the next year it made it a little bit different, I guess, it just at least in how you classify it. Dirty little secret was Shea wasn't that great. Yeah, we'll get into that here in a second. No, I'm I'll, talking about like the, in, in the 17th season. He wasn't that great beginning of the year. No, no, he wasn't. Part of that was just kind of – I mean, I say part of that it went on brand with Phil Longo being good against bad defenses and not being very good against defenses with the Speaking pulse. Speaking of, the boys, the guy's lit, lighting up the ACC right now. Yeah, he is. And so – I guess what I'm trying to get at is like people, I guess, have forgotten about some. Or it's been a long time since Ole Miss has had a young quarterback where you're going to just yeah. kind of live with him for two or three years and let him make his like let him make mis- freshman mistakes, let him kind of understand or make mistakes through trial and error and just get to a level of a competent SEC quarterback because that is a process. And again, redshirt freshman, he's got a lot of football left in his career. Oh, absolutely. Um, he, he's got you know a good bit of football left in, here in Oxford, and Ole Miss needs that kid to be good. So, and he was on Saturday, good, good for him. Uh, it was a tough week for him. He played you know really bad at Memphis, and, and I saw him play really well against Arkansas, minus the fumble. So, it, it's going to be interesting to see week to week how much he gets better. Yeah, the only thing we didn't see on the offensive line was I, unless I missed it, I don't think Ben Brown played any center, which I thought was a little surprising. Again, I haven't seen. I'm going to go back and watch the game today or tomorrow. Kind of gets. I would be interested to get the pro football focus stuff and see where guys graded out. But I, I thought you might see some of that. Maybe that means Eli Johnson played better. You had Broker and and Michael Howard alternate snaps. I think Broker's probably your best bet there long term. It'll be interesting to see how that if if how that fleshes itself out. I thought he at least naked eye stuff. I thought he was okay. In, in, on first impression, it'll be interesting to see. With interesting to see what the coaches have to say about that today, but you know, how does that flesh out going forward? Is he your left tackle? Do you continue to alternate? I don't know. Offensive line looked a little bit better. I'm still not necessarily sold that that isn't going to be a problem when you face really good defensive lines. But looked a little better there. So is Broker the guy? What does his playing time turn into? What does his role turn into this year? No Ben Brown at center. That was really about all the mix-up you had on the offensive line from what I could tell. So they played seven guys as opposed to six. With Broker being the next guy up, they played six against Memphis. Broker was the seventh against Arkansas. So what does that look like going forward? Because they're still going to need to find another guard to be able to plug and play different places, I think. I think it's got to be a Chandler Tewitt or a Bryce Ramsey or a Jalen Cunningham or something like that because they're, they're, they're an injury away. They're a injury away from being in a bad very bad place again and they're already just kind of holding it up together very flimsily i don't even know yeah you got to make sure you have somebody else ready to go because like you said you're you're one injury away and it's football injuries are going to happen uh you're one injury from away, away from being up the creek and and they've got to get some more guys uh and i think that's why this week is big you're, you're going to get some guys some experience against southeastern louisiana 
you're going to win the football game, but you're going to get some guys on the field and, and have, have them play football for the first time in their career. So I, I think this week, from that perspective, is big is you're able to, to get you know guys on the field, get them some game life, and, and, and if something was to happen, God forbid, to one of these linemen, that they're you know, not walking in extremely cold, too. Yeah, so that's that's a problem that's not like solved by any means. It it was no. I don't want to say it was glossed over this week because I think again I'll, I'll be able to know better on Wednesday's show kind of how it turned out. But initial impressions they fared a little bit better. But again, Arkansas is not very good. That's something that's not going to go away and continue, needs to be continued to be monitored closely. But at least for a game, they got through a game with a win without anything catastrophic happening. Like the offensive line didn't cost them the game like it did last week, and so no. you know Michael Howard played played really well too yeah it was interesting they alternated drives i don't remember where the corral sack came from i'll have to go back and look at that but yeah they played better as a unit i again that's probably somewhat a product of arkansas some of it's a product of merely getting better between week one and two so we'll continue to monitor that going forward and kind of how that fleshes itself out and if they're able to find any semblance of depth obviously if broker they would still be in a really. They would still be kind of up shit creek without a paddle if Broker looked awful and was overwhelmed. But that obviously wasn't the case because he continued to play. They continued to alternate series, so he looked like he could at least handle it. And so that's a good sign for them going forward. Where does the rest of the depth come from? Which one of those guards maybe steps up and plays some? Is Bryce Ramsey because he can play some center as well? Is it Chandler it or Jalen Cunningham guys that have been in the program? That'll be interesting to monitor going forward. Um. Final thoughts? Do you have any other final thoughts on this game? I, we may, I think we about covered it. Dontario Drummond uh, did some decent things early on. You know, he had the he had the, the the offensive pass interference where he kind of pushed off and extended the guy, which is a shame because it negated a pretty good grab. But he had three targets early. He only ended up with the two catches for the game, which both came on the same drive. But I thought he was okay. I thought he played better. Ole Miss is going to need. I think they'll have Braylon Sanders back next week. I guess he could potentially miss next week, but I would be shocked if he wasn't back. By I wouldn't play him against Sela. Maybe so. Maybe it depends on how healthy he is. If they play, if he's, if he feels like he's one hundred percent recovered, I'd let him go out there and play some, but not necessarily push it or risk it. But I guess my overall point was that I, I would be surprised if he's not back by Cal. But they still need one of those outside guys to be good and one of those outside guys to kind of emerge, whether it's a Drummond or a Battle or a Gregory. Like they aren't teams are going to take or do their best to take away Elijah Moore, and if your only other experience there is Braylon Sanders, like they still weren't great in the receiving court. They had a couple drops, had a couple miscommunications with Corral. They were better than last week, but that's something that needs to continue to improve because they aren't going to just make their hay off of Moore in the slot alone. Oh, absolutely not. So uh, they they got to get better there at the receiver uh, position, especially outside. My, uh, you know, Moore's really playing well there in the slot. So. Whether that's like you mentioned, Drummond, Mingo, uh, uh, it, it, they, they've got guys out there, so they got to get somebody out there and make plays. I was wondering, and you may not remember, has Ole Miss through two weeks run a trick play? I'm just trying to sit back here and think. I can't remember any. I think there was one last week where okay. they ran some slowly developing thing and it got blown up. I, I think. Okay. I, for whatever just, reason that sticks in my mind, I don't know that for a fact at all. But I, I swear, I want to say something in the Memphis game. Uh, in the Memphis game, damn it! Now you've got me thinking back, trying to remember what it looked like. I don't know. I think one thing, something happened. But what is what is your point there? No, I was just curious because you know, I mean, usually about week two, and uh, you, you've seen some kind of wrinkle uh, with the offense. I just got, I can't I can't really remember anything. I was just curious if you did. 
not off the top of my head, but I want to say something happened. That's basically all I have for you. Okay. That's pretty good concrete good shit analysis. there. Yeah. <laughs> Octavius Cooley had a pretty good game. Octavius Cooley is now the nimble Octavius Cooley. Uh, yeah, look, that dude was making people miss. Yeah, he, he's, he's gone all the way from you know needing to lose weight to becoming Dexter McCluster, so good for him. <laughs> Jason Pellerin made a nice grab, showed some pretty good hands there. I, uh, my, I had a couple people text me when they got backed up because of that penalty on the goal line and on the third down where they, they were basically kind of just making sure they guaranteed themselves points before halftime. I like the design with that screenplay to Pellerin. People didn't necessarily like that play call in that moment. I didn't necessarily mind it because you don't need Corral throwing it into coverage and it getting picked right before then. Like the, yeah. the kid just made a good play on it. Yeah, maybe question on the down, but like I, there were some de- there were some design concepts from Rich Rodriguez that were really nifty. There was a Matt Corral keeper where they sealed the edge really well, and he kind of snuck up the sideline for a bunch of yards. I thought there was some interesting schematic stuff that Rich Rodriguez did, and kind of opened it up a little bit more. And most of it was successful. Yeah, no, I, I thought Rich Rod called a really good game, especially in the second half. Uh, you know, I was extremely critical of him week one, and, and I thought some of that was fair. Uh, I, but he was really good this week, and, and he gave Ole Miss every opportunity to move the football. Uh, Mac Brown looked a lot better. So, yeah, I thought I, I didn't really have any issues with much from a coaching perspective. I, I, I would have preferred Ole Miss try to go get something before halftime with you not getting the ball back. I thought that was a little weak. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I, I thought the coaching was extremely good on Saturday. Another thing I guess I'll bring up, but similar to those lines, is if Matt, Matt Lucas started to go for it on fourth downs a little bit more, I mean, I, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's indicative of anything at all, but I, I think it's worth pointing out because, I mean, hell, last year they had like a fourth and two driving when a touchdown would have basically won the game at Vanderbilt and a field goal sent it to overtime when you can't yep. go to a bowl game at Vanderbilt. And he kicked it, but he, they seem to be a little bit more liberal about taking risks and going for it. I mean, they went for it on a 4th and 9 or 4th and 10 kind of in no man's land there. That's probably obvi- the obvious call there anyway. And I'm not necessarily saying they deserve credit or blame for anything like this. I'm just merely pointing out that they seem to be a little bit more liberal about some of the risks they take in terms of down and distance. So I don't know what that's indicative of. I guess that's really my job to ask, and I'll do that. I'll do that today. But it's, I guess it's just <laughs> there worth you go. pointing. You got your first question. Yeah, I guess it's just worth pointing out. Uh, no, I mean that's certainly fair because the uh, the criticisms of Matt and they're they're fair. Uh, the first two years was that he wasn't very aggressive. Uh, you know, it, it, they they say he's a lot like his, you know, pre, not predecessor, but uh, you know, a lot like Cutcliffe. And I think some of that's fair, but yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of difference. I, I think they go for more fourth downs now than they probably have the first two years. Uh, maybe that's the sense of Matt. Don't, you know, this is his program now. He doesn't have is to he, worry about it. I, I guess that's kind of what I was hitting at. Does that mean he's getting more comfortable in his own skin? I have no idea. I'm just pointing it out. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a fair, you know, diagnosis. So I, we'll see going forward. Um, it, you know, I don't think he's going to be Hugh Freeze when he goes over to Tuscaloosa and goes for it seven times on fourth down. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a chance he's a lot more aggressive than he was the past two years. That's about all the thoughts I had on that game. Do we miss any big angle? I think we just about hit it there. No, uh, that's about all I've got. Uh, that was just... just Ole Miss needed that one, and they got it. So uh, you're, you're going to be two and one playing a cow game. Uh, the cow, the the, the Callens game, I think is going to be at 11 a.m. So it's going to be an interesting environment. Richard seems to have some inside information, and it has for like two months that that game is going to be at 11 a.m. So I guess I'll trust him on that. 
Yeah, that's the rumor around town that it is 11 a.m. By the time people hear this, that'll probably be out. Yeah, I love 11 a.m. games. Obviously, I think most guys, most people that work the games do. I'd play that bitch at 8 a.m. if they let me. But so <laughs> You're not a big sleeper then, are you? I mean, I don't. I mean, I 11 a.m. game. I'll get to the stadium at nine or whatever. But well, like, no, you said it's 8 a.m. You're getting up at like 6:30 then. Oh, I don't mind if I can have the rest of my day to watch football and kind of relax a little bit and like actually watch some college football. I'm all for it. <laughs> you buy anything into you know Cal being at a little bit of a disadvantage playing at 9 a.m. their time? Uh, hold that thought because if we're going to transition away from Ole Miss into that, how did Doctor Dental Chair do? Oh, he, he got ran. But he must not have called any of those plays. No, 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 by God, no. Well, they gave up a lot of points, to be fair. I think they scored 14. I think it would be 35 to 14. You think uh, he called all the positive plays and didn't call all the negative plays? That's a good point. That's a good point. He called the touchdown plays. Both touchdown plays he called. Yeah, I would agree. I would, I would say for you, Freeze probably called both touchdown plays. And, again, God, he's not doing this for attention. He's, do, he's doing it for the kids. Yeah, he did. did you see we him were on Twitter on Friday. Yeah, so we were doing a radio show at the business symposium or uh, business and finance symposium out at the. It's I guess it's out at the Oxford Conference Center, and I was reading through some of it, and he was clapping back at people on Twitter, and of course you had the classic guy on the internet thinking he's hilarious making this joke for the first time, but he was like, "Why didn't you coach from a massage table?" and, <laughs> and yeah, which that joke still never kind of gets old, but not original. And Hugh Freeze said, I'm assuming you're trying to be humorous, but he spelled it like the bone instead of the word. The I think it's H-U-M-E-R-U-S. And then he told a guy that I made fun of him about the massage stuff. He was like, you need to know the whole story. It's like, dude, come on. Well, they were just massages that ended in a way that wouldn't honor his marriage. I don't think there's any more to tell. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> Sounds like an opinion. No, he didn't do anything wrong. It, they just it ended in a way that wouldn't have honored his marriages. There was no nothing, nothing else nefarious there. It was an accident. Yeah, he just they ended in a way that wouldn't honor his marriage. Respect his privacy. He's not looking for the spotlight. He didn't do a national media tour or anything after oh, coaching in a God. hospital Him bed. Saying uh, that that he didn't know how the information about the dental chair leaking. That was my favorite thing on Twitter so, in a long time. I'll give him a little bit of a pass on that because I think that was a product of the Louisiana people down there being extremely pissed off that this asshole wants a chair put up in the press oh, box. Oh, you don't think he told somebody and it got broke? I, I don't know. I was there was some rumblings in the press box of someone from knowing a guy from Louisiana that they kind of broke that out to because it was the Missouri Rivals guy that was kind of the first one on it. Yeah, the Armin. Yeah, and I think he. I think some people in Louisiana were just kind of like, "Hey, get a load of this asshole." So I don't know, but I'll, I'll give. <laughs> Did you see the thread on Twitter talking about like what Freeze is going to do week to week, like how, what his new next trick is going to be? I, I mean. You can't stay. I mean, he's, he can't. I, I guess I'll never doubt Hugh Freeze in this sense. But is he really going to stay in the news for things not named Liberty Football for 13 weeks of this season? Is that really going to happen? I hope he does. I hope he does. Look, if he does, more power to him, man. That's impressive. I mean, whatever all PR is good PR, bad PR, whatever philosophy you subscribe to, if he's able to stay in the news because of where he's coaching and where he's pissing during games, mad props. Good on him. <laughs> 14 points. He scored 14 points. Anyway, do I make anything of Cal having to go across the country and play at 9 o'clock their time? I don't know. Two years ago when Ole Miss went out there, the team went out, and I was working in-house at the time, so I left when the team did. They got out there on a Thursday, 
and kind of went and piddled around and practiced a little bit and did some different things. I don't know when Cal's getting here or when Cal's leaving, but it felt like by the time Ole Miss played on Saturday, I don't think that made too much of a difference. That game did kick off at 9 o'clock, what would have been 9 p.m. Oh, um, East Central time. I was about to say Ole Miss time. That's scientific. But you get my point of what they were used to playing. I, I, at least I don't think it probably affected them. Now, Cal coming and playing in the September Mississippi heat's probably a whole other story as as opposed to the time difference. Yeah. Um, so, look, if you're on this and you have any control of putting that game at 11 a.m., and they got a little bit. I mean, the SEC's got a non-conference team. They schedule, you know, the game. Um, if they get an out-of-conference team, the SEC team's going to want every advantage they can get. They're going to give it to Ole Miss, so. Yeah, and go ahead and go full-on Belichick. Go ahead and put the thermometers in the t- – put what temperature is in the visiting tunnel, maybe shut off the AC in their locker room. Like, go- that's, a, that's a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit far. I wouldn't shut off the AC in a locker room. It, it could accidentally break. There could be a wire twisted. I don't know. I'm yeah, just saying, if I were Ole Miss, I'm going full-on Belichick mind games for a California team playing in the Mississippi Heat at 11 a.m. I, I don't mean to, like, get off topic here. When I played high school football, we played our rival in, like, August. And, like, so we play the first half, and some asshole at halftime or, like, during the first half had gone and turned on the heaters in the visiting locker room. I wanted to die. That was the – oh, my God. I anyway, guess that's probably a little bit much. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, look, it was 95 degrees, and it was, like, 93 in our locker room. Uh, but anyways, so, look, dude, I think it's a little bit of an advantage, sure. Um, I don't know how much – going to matter in the third quarter when it's 13 to 10 and Ole Miss has the football on their eight yard line no that's fair but I think the heat's a real thing because man if you I'm not I mean, I, every single year when this first wave of heat in August and it really it gets really bad in July hits me it's pretty bad and like if I've oh, lived yeah. in it my whole life if these it's dudes from California dope, are coming in that's going to be tough but yeah I'd go you know Belichick does the whole like you know, stick to, like make sure he make sure he knows the other team knows how hot or cold it is. I would definitely do all the mind games I could. Maybe not the locker room thing because the visiting locker room in Vault Hemingway is already kind of a shithole. So maybe yeah. maybe just leave them alone there. But yeah, I think it makes a difference. LSU. I wonder if they're L- going to do anything to that because that's almost embarrassingly bad. How bad the visiting locker room is? Maybe I don't know. I mean, it's 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 kind of is what it is. I think Ole Miss has probably gone to some places and played it worse, but yeah. Oh yeah, that's perfectly fair. LSU, pretty good. Really? Oh, you're talking about just in general? Yeah, yeah. They're the, the third best team in the country. I don't really think it's close. Joe Burrow, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. He lit up Texas. Uh, yeah, they're well coached, which is weird. I had a little bit of that game on my laptop, but I couldn't get it to play consistently up there with the Wi-Fi Ole Miss had. So, yeah, I didn't watch many. I watched one play. But I'll be, I mean, I'll be honest. just on the surface and on the replay, Burrow can sling it a little bit, and they scored a lot of points. And look, I know the big joke over the last decade is LSU every year saying, we're really going to open up the offense this year. We're going to be a spread team. And everyone's well, like, yeah, ha-ha, yeah, here comes the power toss. They look a lot different. They look conceptually different. Burrow's throwing the ball. They got talent at receiver. They look like the real deal, and they look like they've actually changed offensive philosophies. And good on Ed, man. Ed keeps stacking up quality wins in his tenure there. And I I don't know if it's ultimately going to matter because I think he's going to be unfairly gauged as to whether he beats Alabama and Saban or not. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But good on him, man. He's stacking up quality win after quality win. He is in control of that program. Absolutely. Uh, If you'd have told me 
10 years ago, well, yeah, 10 to 12 years ago that Ed Orgeron was going to, you know, lead a top 10 team into Texas and get a win, <laughs> I don't know where I'd have thought he'd have been, but uh, it wouldn't have been LSU. So, yeah, good on Ed. Uh, they, 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 they're a really good football team. I think they're going to play with Alabama this year. I think Alabama's a little bit down from what they usually are. Now, don't read into that. But I, I don't know. Think if Alabama only that game was in LSU. Yeah. Yeah, if that game's an LSU, it's a three-point line. Um, this one's probably going to be closer to eight or nine. But I think they can play with them. I, I think if this game's close in the fourth quarter, you're not going to have – I'm not going to be shocked. It'll be 11-ish, like game of the century-ish maybe. Not like talent-wise and how that game was built up, but in terms of LSU going into Tuscaloosa, you're actually thinking, okay, they have a shot. Versus yeah. like if yeah, like the last I, couple I, years, they haven't really had a shot. The game's just hyped up. Yeah. That was the last time LSU's beaten them, right? I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Yeah, because the next year, my buddy Chandler Room, who covers the Astros for the Houston Chronicle now, was covering Alabama for an East Alabama newspaper back then. I, the name is escaping me right now. But they they won that game in 11, and that was the last time they beat in Alabama. But the next year, they had Alabama dead in the water in Baton Rouge. And yeah, they McGarren, got the screen. A.J. McCarron put together that last drive, and they scored that touchdown. And Chandler Rome wrote a really awesome story about how kind of that changed the course of the SEC West for the next half decade because Alabama's really kind of ascended since and become what they are. They were already an established dynasty at that point. But LSU hasn't been the same since, I guess, was kind of the premise of the story. So, yeah, that is the last time they've beaten them. Could that take, if there's ever a year where that could take a turn and LSU being a little bit down, as, as you pointed out, this could be it. If LSU goes into Tuscaloosa and wins this year, Ed's probably the coach there for five more years minimum. Yeah. Well, if he goes in and beats Alabama, they're going to the college football playoff. And they're going to the so, SEC title game. And they're going to win it. You think? I think they're so much better than Georgia. They were much better than them that day last year. And I haven't watched much of Georgia this year, so I won't necessarily agree or disagree. But that would be a fascinating change of pace to watch those two plays as opposed to Alabama and Georgia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, good on LSU. They're, they're a really good football team. I don't. There's one team on their schedule that can beat them, and it's Alabama. So LSU is either going 11 and one or 12 and 0, in my opinion. Anything else other college football wise? Uh, Michigan sucks. Yeah, Army's pretty good. Michigan, not so good. Shea Patterson wasn't very good. I don't really know what to make of that other than I really wish Army had pulled that out. Yeah, that sucks. I was driving so hard for Army. That poor kid um, put actually a decent else, boot on that. God bless Jeremy Pruitt. It's going to be all right. Man. Oh, my God. Right. What do you do? I don't think – so I, I was reading something Wes Rucker wrote, who's the Vols 247 guy, and is kind of the main guy on that beat over there. Yeah. And he was saying that – like. He doesn't think they're bad coaches, but this program is just off. And I don't they know. don't know how to win. Dude, did you see the end of that game? No. You know, okay, so look, let me play this out for you now. They're down, BYU is down three with 35 seconds left, right? They have the ball on about their nine-yard line, fourth and 15. And Tennessee gives up a 70-yard pass while the clock is running. So BYU can't even talk to their coaches. They give up a 70-yard pass, and the kid hits the field goal to win the game. Or not win the game. How does that happen? Yeah, I don't know. It was a busted coverage. A guy bit on a route that was going to be short of the sticks and let a guy run past him. I mean, it was absolutely insane. I don't know what a coach is supposed to do. from, And I'm hard on coaches. I don't know what he's supposed to do from that perspective. Yeah. Damn. 
Uh, quick NFL stuff before we got to get out of here because it's going to be a long season for Tennessee. Does Pruitt see another year? I don't know. I think he could still be. They don't have the money. I know exactly. That's a, that's another. I think that's yes. I think he could still be okay. But man, like you said, they don't know how to win. That program's all messed up. And I've never bought into this, it being this Jones, proud program man. because it hasn't been 90, 1998 for a long time. But there's no excuse for them to be that bad. No, 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 absolutely not. I mean, there's no excuse for anybody in the SEC not named Vanderbilt to be that bad. Um, but they're still paying Butch Jones, man. They're paying him a lot. So, got to be. Yeah. Uh, quick NFL thoughts. Kyra Murray looks pretty good in the second half. I think he can. I think he can play in this league. They're going to be a fascinating team to watch. Uh, that was crazy. Detroit invented a way to lose that game, or tie that game, blow the lead. They're up twenty-four to six. And yeah, uh, Murray and Kingsbury looked like they didn't even belong in this league for the first three quarters, and then they just lit it on fire. Look, man, rookie quarterback, rookie head coach. That's a double whammy. That's tough in this league to immediately adapt. That's going to take time, but they could be okay. Yeah. I thought Mary looked good in the fourth quarter, but I mean, this God, the first three quarters, I was worried about it. Miami's awful. Lamar Jackson learned how to throw, though. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested to see that. That's a that's the Ravens team that's got a chance to win that division. Uh, Cleveland looks horrible. Maybe that hype train was a little bit too early. Yeah, but anyway, I, 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 before I make sweeping judgments about teams in the NFL, and I'm not saying that you were, but like, you know, let two three weeks play out because that's sure. But you lost by 30, man, at home. <laughs> they did. The Titans could end up being pretty good this year. This is a prove-it year for Marcus Mariota, and that Titans defense is nasty. Did Mariota play well yesterday? I didn't get to watch much. I thought A.J. played well. Played okay. Made a couple good throws to A.J. Brown. I think they clicked as well as a whole. It's hard to gauge when the, Cleveland was turning it over so much. They were getting so many short fields. And the Titans had at least had one defensive touchdown. I think it may have been two. So that is safety, I know. Yeah, Mariota played okay. I thought um, Derrick Henry's really good. Titans are an interesting team, man. Yeah, yeah, they're a team that can win that division with luck out. I thought the Colts looked pretty good. They, uh, I know they lost, but to go over there without you know much you know warning that Andrew Luck's not going to be on your team and take the Chargers to overtime, I thought that was pretty impressive. I thought yeah, I thought they were fine too. I thought. I think the that division's going to be. I think the Steelers will still end up being okay. Moncrief had an awful game last night. That new system is probably going to take some time to work the hinks out. Again, the AFC, all this may be irrelevant because man, the Patriots look good. Yeah, I mean, Kansas City can beat them, but I don't know about anybody else. I agree, but I'm just not. I'm not betting against that Belichick defense to scheme up for a week and kind of make Mahomes look human. I know they didn't necessarily do that last year, but my God, they just are a machine. Brady's 42 and still doing that shit like he's 25. Yeah, and that defense is something else, man. Yeah, they they are. That defense is really good. I think they undersold that in the offseason. Good in the secondary. Yeah, Chris Collinsworth brought up a good point last night. I think people were were talking about so much about the offense there and the weapons they were having to replace, which they kind of did with Antonio Brown. They signed Antonio Brown over the weekend. Uh They could potentially have Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon in the same like like on the field at the same time on the same team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Antonio's not going to get to do what he did in Oakland. They'll cut him loose. They don't care. I think he knows that, though. He's on a one-year, $9 million guaranteed contract. We'll see. He's got, like, one strike, and Bill will send him to the road. Yep, so thoughts and prayers to the rest of the league, I guess? Yeah, that's what it looks like. Um, the Saints are going to play tonight against the Texans. Yes. I don't know what I expect. I think the Texans may win that football game. Maybe. I mean, a lot of these older teams that have been together for a while kind of put up stinkers in week one and week two. We, you know, I, I, I thought the Patriots might do that last night, but they looked 
as sharp as ever. They did not. They did not at all. I'm trying to think any other big impressions from the day. The Falcons looked awful. I picked them to win the division. So one weekend, that doesn't look great. Yeah, my, my first week of Falcons fandom went about right. Yeah, the Jets blew a 16 to nothing lead. You know uh, who may be okay? Josh Allen might be okay. He, yeah, I mean, he does. He, he just—they looked really bad for two and a half quarters, and then it was kind of like, okay, this kid does some decent things. He'll be okay. I think Darnold will eventually be okay too. Yeah, Gates has to trust him a little bit more. I mean, I don't know if he's worth the trust, but Gates just tried to run the clock out yesterday. That didn't work. Yeah, there's just been a couple more frequent examples of guys coming in and torching the league immediately that I think we've gotten impatient with rookie quarterbacks. Hey, breaking news: Matt Corral was named SEC Freshman of the Week. Oh, good for him. Yeah. So, I, I'm trying to think anything else I had NFL news before we get out of here. I don't think. it was. I love the NFL. I watched football for six hours yesterday, basically. It was a lot of fun. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else like I missed. I don't think so. Uh, quick, Gardner Minshew uh, got to play yesterday from Brandon. I thought that was kind of cool. And he was actually okay. He completed his first, like, 12 passes. Yeah, the Jaguars just said he's going to be their starting quarterback. They're not going to sign anybody. So, that for sucks him. for Foles. I hate that. Oh, yeah, that, that sucks for Foles. Um, I hope he comes back in like five or six weeks. I don't really know what a clavicle does as far as quarterback. I actually broke my clavicle when I was like in fifth grade. Uh, it's been a while. I think his recovery. collarbone, I presume? Yeah, his, his recovery will probably go a little different than fifth grade me, so not really sure on that one. The, I'm trying Depends to think. on if it's his throwing shoulder, too, or not. Yeah. The Dolphins may go 0 and 16. I don't think I would bet the Dolphins go over Okay, that's going to be a tough year. Tough year for old Fitzmagic. Well, did you see last night that like half their players are saying they're going to quit if they don't get traded? Oh no, that that doesn't seem promising. That's a bad look. The Jameis Winston still turns it over a lot. Yeah, he sucks. Um, yeah, San Francisco's pretty good. Yeah, they'd probably pull the plug on that whole deal after this year. Arians will get his own quarterback in there. If I had to take a guess. That's really about all I had. I'm going to go to this press conference unless you got anything else. Nope, nope, sounds good. All right, well, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, I got a lot of feedback over the weekend about the podcast. Always cool when people listening. Uh, some guy who will not be named at the library just kept yelling the people's holiday at me. So he might have been <laughs> he might have been drinking since we recorded Mailbag Friday last week, since the start of it. But Respect. Always love people commenting and saying how much they enjoy the podcast. I really appreciate that. I don't take any, or excuse me, we don't take either one of those for granted. I promise, or any any one of those. Continue to give us feedback, like and subscribe. You can rate your rate and review. Uh, give us five stars and say whatever the hell you want about us in the comments. Uh, but I really appreciate everybody listening. This has been fun so far. But we'll be back at it on Wednesday with a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, probably won't get a Southeastern Louisiana beat writer this week, but we'll do some different things. So we'll be back at it on Wednesday. For Colin Brister, I am Brian Scott Rippey, and we will see you on Wednesday. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.